0: Welcome to LDS Perspectives Podcast, where we interview amazing LDS scholars about Mormon history, doctrine, and culture. Hi, this is Tana Lynn Rutherford, and I'm here with Jenny Oakes-Baker. We're doing a special podcast today in cooperation with Bonneville Communications. Jenny, I'm a fan of yours and have followed your career for for several years. Some of our listeners might not be as familiar, so I was just wondering if you could give us a quick background on your life and your career. (laughs) That's a
1: loaded question. Um, (laughs) Well, I've been playing the violin since I was four. I'm now 42. I've been performing my entire life. I worked really hard as a, as a child and always knew I wanted to be a performer. I went to the Curtis Institute of Music for my bachelor's in Philadelphia, then went to Juilliard for my master's. That's where I met my husband, not at Juilliard, but he was in New York. We got married and then he got a job in Washington, D.C., so we moved there and I got into the National Symphony where I played for six years, during which time I had four children after Matthew, our youngest, was born, I felt like I was supposed to leave the symphony to be home with our children full-time, so mm-hmm. I left the symphony and then had time at home with my children, but also had time to start doing a little more soloing. Um, in the meantime, I'd started recording albums for Deseret Book, their Shadow Mountain Records label. Mm-hmm. Being home gave me the time to kind of do more recording and a little more performing, and so I the last... I don't know, Matthew is almost 11. The last 11 years, I've done just a lot of performing and also helped my kids develop their musical talents. And so kind of right now, my kids are so advanced with their music that I perform most of my concerts with them. And I'm recording a new album for Deseret Book that will come out this spring, and my kids are going to be a part of that album. So that's kind of where things are with my career. It's been really amazing to kind of see my how my musical path has what the different routes it's taken and and I'm grateful to the Lord for guiding me along. Yeah. Okay. Well and after being trained
0: in those prestigious music schools, I Googled (laughs) what it means to be a concert violinist in the National Symphony Orchestra.
1: They wouldn't refer to a member of the orchestra as a concert violinist. Concert violinist is more a soloist. Okay. So when I was in the symphony, I was just in the first violin section. But just the first violin... Weren't you the first violin? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. That's referred to as concert master. Ah, So there's a first violin section and a second violin section. So I was just in the first violin section, which is actually where I wanted to be at that time because I was having babies and I was nursing babies and I had four children in five years. So I... I didn't even audition for the Concert Master Spot when it came available when I was there because I, I, okay. was, I was happy with where I was. And I would have stayed in the National Symphony. I loved it. It was like such a cushy job. I loved it. it. I loved the music. I loved the people. I loved the venue. We were in the Kennedy Center. I loved everything about it, but I hated leaving my children. Yeah. And I just felt like it was a great career, but I didn't feel like that's why the Lord had given me a talent, was for me to just have a really comfortable career in a symphony. I felt like he'd given me a talent for a different reason, and it was fine for that time in my life, but it wasn't necessarily my purpose with my music, and so I felt like it was okay at the time, and then I started feeling like it wasn't what the Lord wanted me to do. So I resigned, and the personnel manager was like... no one has ever done this before. What are you doing? You're supposed to retire, not resign, like when you're you know, 65 or 70. And
0: wow. he didn't
1: quite know what to do. And I just felt like my, I just, I started to cry and I said, my children need me. Yeah. And I, I felt like that was the path the Lord had in store for me. And so I, I walked away and it was really hard because I, I walked away and I didn't have anything else musical in my life. And because I'd kind of pushed aside all the solo stuff because I was so busy with children and, and the symphony, that I walked away with nothing to go to musically and kind of prepared to put my violin underneath the bed and bring it out to perform in sacrament meeting once in a while. Yeah. And wow. that was really scary. What a risk. It was really scary. I was yeah. I was scared, but I knew it was the right thing. But it was heartbreaking to yeah. kind of walk away from everything I'd worked toward, I thought, you know, and not knowing what was in store. And but I had some spiritual experiences. I knew it was the right thing. And then... The day I resigned from the symphony, no one knew about it because I hadn't had my child yet, my fourth child yet, and I had to kind of keep it quiet for various reasons. And so nobody knew, but I started getting calls. At that very day, I got calls to come be a soloist with different orchestras. And that was a real... What a gift. <laughs> it was a real just test of my faith to be able to leave it with nothing to fall back on. Right. But to, and the, I think the Lord sometimes keeps us in the dark until we follow the prompting and then he starts shining the light on where we're supposed to head. So, right. it was a really beautiful experience to just kind of see that the Lord is testing me. I passed that little test and then he kind of helped me to to go along kind of a new musical path that yeah. I've really been grateful right. for and especially since it gave me the time to help my kids develop their talents and it gave me the time to pursue a little bit more of the solo some of the solo work and recording work that I've been able to do. And, and now performing with my children is my greatest joy. It's so fun. It's, I mean, it's so much work, so much more work to right. be a soloist when your children are on stage with you. Because like, it's full-time job to be a stage mother, to get kids ready <laughs> right, for the stage. But when right. you're on the stage with them, to prepare them, to prepare yourself, to make sure the hair is curled. Right. or at least brushed, <laughs> or I mean, just like to get everyone's clothing coordinating and make sure that everything, make sure they're on stage at the right time when you're already on stage. And right. if they're misbehaving, you're on stage too. You can't like yell at them. And-
0: in hindsight, this has obviously paid off for you in ways that you might not have imagined, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I gave up the symphony not to have a bigger solo career. I gave up the symphony to have time with my children they're growing up so quick that i'm so grateful i had that time with them when they were young i'm so grateful i have the time with them now we've been trying to have more children for over 10 years more children haven't come it was actually it was easier for me to get pregnant in the symphony than <laughs> running around <laughs> with my children everywhere else. Uh-huh. but um but i'm so grateful i was home with them and and that I had that time with them. It's I, I mean, I, I would do anything to go back to those years and do it all over again. I loved yeah. being home with them.
0: It's definitely a privilege to be Absolutely. able to be there and be with them. We miss out when we're not there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Concerning your children on stage, I love this. I love in the end of your Copland Rock Suite video, where there's this just lovely moment where Hannah playfully kicks Matthew, Sarah storms off saying, "I'm done," and you kind of giggle and say, "Stop it!" <laughs> and it's just this great humanizing moment of Jenny Oaks Baker. We're a
1: very human family. Like if my kids have grown up on stage, and because they have, it's not such a holy place that they don't still feel like they can kind of still be children. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like they only get on stage once a year and so they're on their best behavior. They're on stage so much that they kind of are not necessarily on their best behavior. Like, they've kind of learned. But I remember when they were younger, Sarah and Matthew... Sarah had her bow and she'd do a sword fight with Matthew's guitar like while they were playing, like when they were resting. And we had to explain how you're not supposed to have sword fights on stage. And Sarah, I mean, in some of the earlier videos that you can see, they'll yawn. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah at one point puts her feet up on her cello and sucks her thumb. Like it's just they're kind of – they've grown up on stage and so sometimes you do catch those, those little moments. And it is awkward though. Like when I'd be performing and – They'd be they'd be waiting to come on stage or something, and I'd get, they'd be fighting, and I'd give them like dirty looks from the stage. People think I'm giving their children dirty looks, but I'm giving my own children <laughs> dirty looks. So you have to be careful because you know, I mean, it's hard to. Be a mother while you're on stage.
0: Right, right. But I'm sure that really helps your audience to see those moments. Of, yeah, I yeah, think so. Of reality, I guess. And it, and it, I think it indicates that you are able to cross that bridge between being a disciplinarian and just enjoying them. What mm. what do you find are ways to productively teach your children discipline and help them work together? Oh, gosh. What, can, yeah, can you have a really there? like
1: mother of the year in here for that question? <laughs> I'm Like, I know how to get my kids to play well their instruments, but I may not be writing a book on discipline. I, well, Hannah's teacher one time told me that she didn't think there was any problem with paying kids to practice or paying them to, you know, sit down and get it done because she and her, it's Irene Peary Fox, who's one of the greatest piano teachers of all time. Mm-hmm. She says like adults get paid to work. Why shouldn't children get a reward for their work? And yeah. I'd always bribed my children. So that that made me feel good. And I, I've started paying them when they perform with me when I'm paid. And I mean if yeah. I'm not if it's a church thing, you know, no one's getting paid. We're getting we get blessings, which is even better. But right. I've started paying them so they understand that they work hard and there's a reward and it, Sometimes you work hard and you don't see the reward and sometimes you do. So yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with having your... Whatever whatever reward makes a child excited, it doesn't have to be money. It can be you know a sticker if that's what a child wants or if they want to earn a toy or if they want special time to have an extra book or whatever drives that child. If they can have a reward for their hard work, then I think that makes everyone happier. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I also... We work first and play later. That was always something I grew up with. You know, work first and play later. And my siblings joked that my dad's motto was "work first, play never," because <laughs> he's he's much more excited about work than play. But right. um, we work first, play later. And so, as soon as their homework and their practicing is done, they get to do. I mean, yeah. almost anything they want. But, but luckily, there's not really time for much else. <laughs> so <laughs> if, they, if, they're, if they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing, yeah. they don't have a lot of time to you know, waste.
0: Yeah. Do we need to mention that your father is Dallin H. Oaks? Do, is that... I, I we'll, we'll say that okay. so that people can understand where you're coming from in terms of
1: he's a good man he perhaps. knows how to work hard yeah
0: right and how about your mother I loved the vlog where you talked about your mom creating performance opportunities for you I loved the way she helped you practice. She said, you said that you hated to practice, but she could see that you love to perform. Right. So she would make cookies, have the neighbors come over and bribe them with cookies to watch you, right? Which Yeah, sure the neighborhood kids. I think the mothers are probably
1: too busy, but, <laughs> but yeah. So brilliant. the neighborhood kids would, would come over and I'd perform for them, which was really just practice for them. Yeah. yeah, So it was, it was good. And my parents would set up concerts for me all the time
0: I'm wondering if you have metaphors that have kind of come out of your work in practicing and achieving this talent that you have.
1: Well, for me, my mom was really lovely, and she was there with me when I was practicing when I was younger and at every performance. And she would find scriptures for me that really helped me, especially when I was performing and I was really nervous, such as, if ye are prepared, you need not fear. Mm -hmm. And that was... I always felt prepared, and mm-hmm. I always, that scripture would help me not be fearful. There's also, I pray unto the Father in the name of Christ, that he will consecrate thy performance, that thy performance may be for the welfare of thy soul. Yeah. That always that one always helped me. Peace be unto you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, Give I unto you. So always the peace and comfort scriptures yeah. <laughs> as you kind of right. walk out onto mm-hmm. stage feeling like you're walking to the guillotine a bit when you're younger. (laughs) I don't get that nervous anymore. But I've also had so many experiences where I felt the Lord like supporting me and felt like He's like holding me in His hands and helping me and just kind of turning yourself over to the Lord and doing the best you can and then turning it over to the Lord and just seeing Him work miracles in your life has, has been a lovely way to learn how much the Lord loves us and how He'll help us in any trial that we face. Right, right.
0: Your Everybody Hurts video that you dedicated to your mother, June D. Oaks, she passed away in 1998, and it hints at how your musical gift that your mother clearly gave to you has helped you be able to overcome the hurt and to heal from losing her, perhaps. Um, Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. I'm so grateful that my mom was such an amazing mother and really gave her life for me and the development of my talents. And so every time I play, I think of her and she was very instrumental in helping me be able to have the violin I have. And so every time I, I hold that violin, I remember her, I've got a, a painting of her in my music rooms every time I practice she's there and Uh so many times when I perform I know she's there and other people have kind of felt her spirit in the audiences when I perform and so I mean the veil is very thin and I'm so grateful that she gave me that gift that is enduring she didn't my mom never I mean she didn't give me big barbie houses you know I really I was the last child I was 13 years after my next up sibling I was Uh born and so they were pretty scaled down as far as toys. <laughs> right, they knew I was the last, and I. They didn't give me a lot of little stupid toys that are now would be broken now. But they, she gave her time, and they gave their resources to develop my talents. And that's something that I will have forever. It's something I'm giving to my children, and it's it's a real legacy and I'm, and also they she wrapped it in with my faith and with God's love and the spirit and testimony and and that's just as important if not more so of that legacy. Yeah.
0: I loved listening to that too and and thinking about how I've lost both my parents and the talents that I continue to develop. I sometimes wish that they were here, but then I realized they are. It, it right. kind of connects me to them. Absolutely.
1: You know? Yeah, and what are you, What What gifts are you giving your children that'll be a legacy? Right,
0: right, yeah. Uh, when my mom passed away, my dad was extremely lonely and was blessed to find a companion a couple of years later. And just tragically, for only a brief time before he actually passed away. But, but she has been such a great blessing to us, continues to be. That's but making neat. that adjustment in the beginning to opening my heart for a stepmother, which is, we all hate that word, right? Because it just right. doesn't really fit. But um, adjusting to learning to love and welcome and appreciate her was not easy initially, but has been a great blessing to my family. Would you be willing to talk about how you've been able to do this with Kristen?
1: Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. Kristen's really lovely, special woman. Um, and dad is very blessed to find her. I know he was led to her and and that they were supposed to get married. A few things helped with that transition. My mother pulled all of her children aside before she died and told us that she knew that dad would be remarried. She wanted him to be married, remarried because um, she knew that he wouldn't be happy without without a wife. And so my mom paved the way of that acceptance. And I think yes. that's important right. for women. Even if they're healthy and they don't think they're going to die, Like, pull your husband aside and give him that. Give him that permission to be remarried because if you don't, it, it just makes the whole thing more difficult. Most men need a wife. And so I think women, if you love your husbands, I think you should consider giving him that permission to be remarried. And also tell your children that you think it would be lovely if their father remarried after, if if something happened to you because that enables them to accept her easier. When my mom was dying, I was actually gaining a mother-in-law. I, I met my husband right before my mom died, and I got married a couple months before my mom died. I knew she was going to die, and I asked her if it was okay for me to call my new mother-in-law mother and right. mom, and she gave me that permission as well. Uh-huh. And that was lovely because that just showed how open and mm-hmm. and loving and and non-threatened she was as a person. Right. So yeah. my mom gave us that permission, which was key. Kristen also is lovely about allowing us to talk about mom in front of her, in front of dad, anytime I can bring up my mom. And she'll bring up my mom. She read, She's read her history. She honors her. She talks about her, even though she never met her, she knows many things about her. She talks about her to my children. She talks about her to others. And that helped as well. One thing that is difficult, you know, Kristen's presence reminded me that my mom was gone. So you have to get over that. Mm-hmm. And at first, I think I... They're, it's easy to blame a second wife for the loss of your mother, mm-hmm. just naturally. Their existence reminds you that your mom's gone, and that's hard. But that has nothing to do with Kristen. At all times, she's been loving to every member of our family. She's wonderful to our my my father. She's an incredible grandma to my children. My acceptance of her was pretty immediate. I think I was blessed with the gift of the Spirit to just accept her, mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for that gift because immediately I accepted her, and then I grew to love her. Yeah. But I think the gift of the spirit was really helpful. And then as I saw how much she loved my children, that that's what sealed the deal. Yeah, she really truly won me over eternally right. by seeing the love she has for my children. Right. So my advice to second wives if they're struggling would be to just keep on loving and love those grandchildren. If it's the grandchildren, will probably be more accepting of a new grandma. Than children of a new mother. Right. So just just hold out, keep loving and yeah. eventually I think that acceptance will come.
0: Love is the key, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Um you often talk about your talent being a gift from God to bless others and um I particularly appreciate how you talked about performing and becoming an instrument for God in his hands, right, to express his love for others. That made me think of the words of Mother Teresa that were actually quoted in the last conference. When someone asked her about her great work that she's done, she said, it's God's work. I'm like a pencil in his hand. He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to be allowed to be used. I love that. Can you elaborate on how you see yourself as an instrument of God?
1: Well, it Also depends on the music. Like if the music is just kind of flashy, fluffy, fun music, (laughs) I'm not necessarily going to feel God's love rushing through me. (laughs) I mean, it's fun and it's buoyant and there's nothing wrong with it. It brings people joy and that's great. But that's not when I'm necessarily going to feel the spirit in great abundance. It's just going to be fun and, you know, kind of. Just enjoy. Enjoyable. Yeah, right. The, the time I really feel Heavenly Father's Love is when I'm playing things like Amazing Grace or The Spirit of God or something that praises God and brings people closer to God, then I'm more of an instrument in his hands. If it's something that's just to show off that I practiced a lot of hours, that's I'm not yeah. gonna feel it and it's not gonna have the same impact. So it was kind of a transition that I had in my when I was done with school, I probably learned this lesson when I was performing with Mormon Tabernacle Choir. On President Hinckley's 90th birthday mm-hmm. celebration, so I was probably about 23. So I, I, it's come, you know, with some age and experience. But I was invited to perform some, like a, a, a tune for President Hinckley's birthday celebration, and I suggested doing Carmen Fantasy or, you know, Hoedown from Rodeo, and President Hinckley came back and said he didn't want me to play those tunes. He wanted me to play something more well known and something slower, and I was a little not so happy because Uh I wanted to show off my playing. Virtuoso. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, well, nobody will know I'm a good violinist. (laughs) And, and so I suggested, you know, believe me if all those endearing young chimes, it's just this old Irish ballad Mm -hmm. that I've since done a video for that I love. But at the time I was like, fine. And so I got, (laughs) and he accepted that and I got to the to the dress rehearsal, and they explained that the show wasn't about us. And I was like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? Who is this about? <laughs> of course it's about us. And they're like, no, but it's about, you know, feeling unity as a people and honoring President Hinckley and feeling the spirit and bringing people together. And I was like, oh. And then through that performance experience, I saw how if I had played Karma Fantasy or, you know, one of these flashy violin numbers, right. it would have been all about, like, look at me and see how good I am. Yes, and right. it would have been totally trashy and would have pulled down the program. And the believe me number was just lovely and lush and loving and gushy and light filled. And uh-huh. it was perfect. And it was a good lesson for me on on following the prophet <laughs> uh-huh. and trusting in him, even though he didn't go to Juilliard, he knew more about music than I did, which was a good lesson. As important as that lesson for me, it was learning that my music can have impact and probably more impact by not being about me and not being about look how good I am or look how fast I play but about let's feel this glorious spirit together and let's bring people together and let's you know focusing on the spirit that music has and the power it has to help people feel great emotion like it was a it was a really important time in my artistic development to understand that concept that my playing can be more impactful by focusing on music that really helps people feel instead of impresses them. Right,
0: yeah. It connects us together. Yeah, so, and since
1: then, like, I'm so grateful I've had been able to make recordings and find different, like, well, Kurt, I work with Kurt Bester a lot as my arranger, and he does such a good job of writing things that are super epic and emotional and help people feel great emotion and bring people together and Mm -hmm. help them feel God's love, and I've been really blessed to be able to, have a lot of repertoire that that is kind of catered to helping people feel, you know, that emotion and God's love.
0: Right. I was listening to your Disney album on the way over, um, and I love the. There, there's a lovely balance in that. Of uh, there's just you know, you have this virtuoso violinist as well as these lovely tunes that you love that have connected me to my children for years and years. Oh, and we glad. were just at Disney last weekend. And <laughs> right. yeah. So I just think it's such a gift that you're giving. You. Um and, and your videos too, I think have been you know, you have that. I, I noticed in your music videos that your violin ends up in some interesting positions, like yeah, there's bright really soapy been, bubbles.
1: I've, I've actually been really <laughs> stupid with where I've taken it. Okay, but wait a
0: minute, because I've seen I've seen it with on the, the the bubbles.
1: Okay, so the so the Alex Boyer video, that violin was not my violin. We, okay, because that, it's
0: sinking into the, the lake video with I'm, Alex Boyer. So that
1: the video that you see sinking in the water was yeah. a a violin that had been condemned. I didn't even know that was a word to use with violin, but it was a. <laughs> Busted instruments. That yes. was not mine. We gave right, it back to. Right. We gave it back to the people that let us borrow it, and I don't know what they did with it. But that <laughs> that actually wasn't my violin. But the violin I'm playing in the video was my violin. Really, and I was yeah. so dumb to take it down there because it was in the sun and the salt.
0: Yeah, Air, I guess right. like pallas and
1: salty, but it was, it was right by the water. Yeah. And it's fully my Italian instrument that I should really? not have taken down there. I even, wow. when yeah. I stand in the middle of the lake, I'd taken a jet ski and almost dropped it in the water. Like it was so dumb. It was so dumb. <laughs> and the violin I'm playing in my Hard Knock Life video is my violin that in the opening scene, you see a child crying because it looks like she's a poor orphan, but she's actually really crying because it was so cold. So when you see this little girl, tears rolling down her face, that's not acting. That's like frigid temperatures dying. And that's me and my violin. And my violin didn't sound good for two weeks. And then... (laughs) Your
0: violin was crying. My violin was crying.
1: It's so dumb. I really... But I love it so much that I only want to play it, which is really dumb. But I... Like, even a couple weeks ago, I did the cover of my... I did the photo shoot for the cover of my next album, and I'm... It's going to be really epic looking. We had a wind machine blowing my dress up and we're at the top of the mountain in Park City. And it was the coldest day two weeks ago. I don't know. If, right. Like a really cold day. It was that coldest day, like five in the morning with the wind whipping at the top of the mountain. It's seriously below zero by a lot. And we have a wind machine blowing that water, that air straight at me and wow. my new, my, and not new, but my really right. good violin and my violin... Was really sad and still doesn't sound that great. So I've decided to not do that to it anymore. Right. But it usually is my violin, which is a really bad choice. Yeah, but it's so pretty. <laughs> but it is gorgeous. It I is. Love go- it. But I just love seeing it with there's bubbles. Oh, well, the in bubbles. I did actually get. A, did you okay. a cheap violin? So the bubbles. Yeah. yeah. The bu- that bubble, the bubbles are the rocky did.
0: cliff. There was it was laying on a rocky cliff. Yeah, in that is Northern my New- That's the very violin. I know, yeah, that's awesome. So
1: usually I use it, and I shouldn't. Don't try this at home.
0: Well, I just, just a little bit, if you had anything more to say about just using those popular venues, like using video, the the medium of video and and whatnot to kind of popularize and help bring classical music. So
1: I don't have a manager and I really don't know what I'm doing. I just kind of take steps and I try to let the spirit guide me. And I kind of feel like Heavenly Father is my manager because he doesn't necessarily want me to have a big old manager that will take me away from my family and not have my same priorities. So I've never really, I've I've never had a manager. And a manager would probably have a grand plan and design over what I should do and which video I should do next and how I should go about everything. But I just kind of take, I step into the dark and try to let the spirit guide me and... Sometimes I'm like, why did I do that video? (laughs) And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, that was the greatest idea ever. Like the Sound of Music video was the high point of my musical and mothering life to be on the top of the Austrian Alps. In Dirndl's and later Hosen Matthew right. and little Hosen with my husband just as Captain von Trapp playing climb every mountain looking over the Austrian Alps like wow it doesn't get better than that as right. a mother and a musician and a lover of sound of music and all things glorious right. I mean Heavenly Father has guided me and blessed me to be able to do some pretty amazing things and I'm just grateful and I just try to do my best and follow the Spirit and great things happen when you follow the Spirit and. You don't know what they're going to be, but you just do your best. And right. and the Lord has an amazing plan for each of us. And I'm I'm grateful that He allows us to be part of it. <laughs> right.
0: Thank you. Okay, so in talking about all those fun videos and, and knowing that history behind that violin, can you just tell us about how you acquired the violin and maybe about your upbringing? Because some people might not know that history.
1: Right. So really good violins are very expensive. So growing up, I never really thought I could ever have a good violin. My father was a hard worker, but he had chosen education all along his career path. He was raised by a single mother and she struggled to pay the bills and worked as a teacher and supported the family, but they never had any extra money. And And then when he, he went to law school, but he, you know. He was able to get a scholarship to go to law school because they didn't have money to pay for it. And and then all along, every job he took, he took a cut in pay <laughs> because he started, he started a law firm and then went into teaching at University of Chicago in the law school and then took a cut in pay when he became BYU president and then took a cut in pay when he became a Supreme Court justice and then took a cut in pay when he down to a living allowance when he became an apostle. And so, I mean, we weren't struggling to have food on the table, but there wasn't any extra money. And so my parents paid for music lessons, but it was a sacrifice. We never had any toys. Like, we never had a cabin or a boat or jet skis or any. We always had old cars, and and I drove us embarrassingly Ugly Chevy Nova hatchback in high school. <laughs> anyway, so I never thought I could have a really great violin, but I went to Curtis, and luckily that was full tuition, which helped. Mm-hmm. Full tuition paid. Okay. But I was doing a concert in Chicago, and I wasn't even looking for a, a quality instrument. But my former violin teacher said, "Jenny, go to this, go to this violin dealer in Chicago. They have this great violin there. It's Seguinari the del Jezu. It's, it's a six million dollar instrument." And go play it just for fun. So I went because I was in Chicago performing. and and I was I played this violin, fell in love, and I said, "Do you have anything cheaper, you know, <laughs> that I could play?" <laughs> and I fell in love with this Panormo. It was much, much, much cheaper, but still more expensive than I could perform. And I just fell in love with this violin, but I knew I couldn't have it. I had no money. My parents had no money. And so, um, but I had a competition coming up in a couple weeks in San Francisco, and I really wanted to play this violin. So I asked if I could just take it home and try it out, you know, take it for a test test drive. drive. And the, it's pretty typical. They let me do that. It's just with okay, my name. I signed my name, didn't even leave a credit card. Wow. Crazy. And they know where to find you. I went home and I was like, Mom, I love this violin. And she's like, Talon, if you were still in the law firm, we could buy this violin for Jenny. <laughs> and he's like, No, June, you know, we've made the right choices in our life. And anyway, so we sent it back and it's many tears, mostly my mother's. And a couple weeks later, they called and they said, We're going to take this violin over to Asia. It's going to be snatched up immediately by by someone over there, but we really want your daughter to have it. Is there any way you can make it work? And so dad figured out if my mom sold all the stock that she'd been given by her parents throughout her life because they were were savers. They saved everything. She had some stock. So she sold all that stock and bought half the violin. And then I took all the wedding money and recording money and all my birthday money. I saved my whole life. And babysitting money. And I put it aside and I took out a loan for my dad for the other half. Right. And then that next year in college, I worked in a little string orchestra on the side while I was finishing up my bachelor's degree and I paid off my half. And then when my mom died, I inherited her half, okay. which was such a oh, blessing. Wow. So yeah. it's really my inheritance from my parents, from my mother and and then I met my husband, and I was so grateful I already owned my violin because it would have been a decision between buying a first home and buying a violin. Wow. And so I was grateful that as a young married couple, we didn't have to make that decision because yeah. I think we would have bought the house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that gives extra meaning to yeah. those videos that we see, And I the shouldn't violin. take it.
1: I shouldn't, but it's, it's you know, that's the violin because I love it. But
0: yeah, what a, what a heritage that you've been given from... Elder Oaks, right? Your father there, definitely. And your mothers. Um and I just I know that it's this time of year, it's very exciting. It's the holiday season. We just want to talk a little bit about the Light the World campaign and how you're participating in that, your contribution to that.
1: Well, I'm really excited. I I've been involved in a number of the campaigns the church has done to kind of spread light throughout the world. The Light the World campaign. This year, I'm going to be making a new music video with my children, a uh, Christmas video, and, and helping people share that video and also share the hashtag light the world. Right. Um, and just encourage people to go out and serve and serve each other as a Savior would do and kind of just bring more light and love to the world. Fantastic. We'll look forward to seeing that and Thank you. enjoying that. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today. Great to talk to you. Thank
0: you. Be sure to check out LDSPerspectives.com to subscribe, catch up on past episodes, download transcripts, and find show notes. LDS Perspectives podcast is not affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed represent the views of the guests or the podcasters alone. While the ideas presented may vary from traditional understandings or teachings, They in no way reflect criticism of LDS church leaders, policies, or practices.